Now, a new school year has started, at least for, for most children in Loughborough. So, children, are you glad to be back at school? Have you made an enthusiastic start? I guess that most of the time children are not glad to be back at school. They'd rather be at home. But as you've been at home for so long, maybe you're glad to be back seeing your friends. Maybe you're glad to be back at school. Maybe you've started off really enthusiastically. When I was a teacher, I used to really like Septembers. I, I like the enthusiasm and the freshness of a new start, especially as I taught economics. And for quite a lot of the pupils, it was a new subject to them. And if they'd done badly earlier on in the school, this could be a fresh start for them. So there was often a lot of enthusiasm around. And I would try to keep that enthusiasm going for as long as possible. I used to tend to find that the October half term broke it. I used to wish the October half term wasn't there because I wanted to keep the enthusiasm going as long as possible. Uh, Because an enthusiastic start is much easier than keeping going. It's easy to be enthusiastic at the start, but then for it to wear down. Many people start well, but fewer end well. And that is true in the Christian life. And so we need help to keep going in the Christian life. Especially now when coronavirus and the restrictions on us have dragged on for a long time, when we've not been able to meet in our normal way for nearly half a year. And so we're in a series at the moment on helps to keep going, helps to keep going. And today we're going to turn to one of the most obvious places to get help to keep going. That is Hebrews chapter 12, verses one to three. Would you come with me, please, to Hebrews 12, verses one to three? This was written to Christians who were discouraged, who were weary who are in danger of giving up, of turning away from Jesus Christ. And it's written to encourage them and warn them and stir them up and keep them going. And these verses in Hebrews 12 are written in a way that grabs our attention and they give us a simple and memorable help to keep going in the Christian life. So, We're simply going to go through verses one to three to get that help to keep going. If you've got the notice sheet in front of you, you'll find that that may help you with seeing uh, what my points are and how we're going to approach this. And we begin with the race. Hebrews 12 verses one to three all picture a race for us. Now, imagine you're in an ancient Greek stadium 2000 years ago. And. Like our stadiums, there are rows of seats banked up around you. Unlike our stadiums, they're probably stone seats banked up, stepped up around you. And they are full of people watching you. But they are not just spectators. They've each finished their race. And when they finished their race, they've gone up into the seats to watch others run. Each of those spectators kept running to the end of his race. Each knows what it's like to have to keep going to the end. And now they're in the seats and they're watching you run. Uh, And that should encourage you on that the spectators watching you, they know what it's like and they've done it themselves. And that is the picture in verse one. Hebrews 12, verse one. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. That's referring to back to chapter 11. 
which Sarah read to us. And chapter 11 is this description of heroes of the faith in the Old Testament. Chapter 11 emphasizes how each looked forward to the end of the race. Each kept going to the end of his or her race. And now it's saying, imagine them as a crowd around you. There they are in heaven rather than in the stands of a stadium. And it's as if they are spectators of you running in the Olympics. Although when it calls them witnesses in verse one, actually the main way they are witnesses is not they're witnessing you. It's they are witnesses of what faith is like that keeps going. That's why we need Hebrews chapter 11. It shows us, it witnesses to us what faith is like that keeps going to the end. This is a race where you need to be aware of the people who've gone before you. They're an encouragement to us. They're an example to us. They're a stimulus to us to, like them, run the race and keep going. But it's also a race where you're not just aware of people who've gone before you, but also people who are around you. Because this is a team race, not a solo race. Now, I wonder if you know that the Tour de France started yesterday, a couple of months later than usual, but it started yesterday. And many people, uh, when it comes to the Tour de France, they've just heard of the big names like Chris Froome and Bradley Wiggins. And they think of it as just this solo race. It's just these exceptional athletes. Have they got it in them to, on their own, get round France? Well, that's how the Tour de France began over 100 years ago. But these days, it's nothing like that. It is very much a team race. No one cyclist, however good he is, would ever manage the Tour de France without a team to back him up. There are cyclists who protect him from attack. And there are cyclists who lead him out until he's ready to launch his attack. And there are cyclists who fetch food and drink for him. And of course, there's the whole backup team providing the coaching and the science and hopefully not the drugs, although there's a lot of that goes on. There's a whole team around him that he won't cope without. It's a team race. And the Christian life is like a team race. Verse one. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders. Verse two again, let us, it's, it's us together, it's a team race. And that, of course, comes in this letter of Hebrews that has said back in chapter three, I'll remind you, Seth preached on this a few weeks ago, chapter three, verse 12, it said, see to it, brothers, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. See, we've got a responsibility for each other's. See to it, brothers, that none of you. Verse 13, but encourage one another daily, as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. It is, we, we've got a responsibility for each other as a team. And so chapter 12 will say in verse 14, make every effort to live in peace with all men and be holy. Verse 13, see to it that no no one misses the grace of God. We've got a responsibility for each other. And so most relevant to us, Hebrews has said in chapter 10, verse 23, 
chapter 10, verse 23. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on, encourage each other on in the race towards love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. But let us encourage one another. And all the more as you see the day approaching. And that's so relevant to us. We need each other. We need encouragement from each other. And we need to meet together to do that. Hebrews 10 is completely explicit about that. We need to meet together to do that. That we have not been able to for nearly half a year is, is bad for us. But we can now. We are allowed to now and we hope to next Sunday. So please do. Please do be here next Sunday because we need to do Hebrews 10 verse 25. We need to meet together because we need encouragement from each other in the Christian race. I know some cannot because they're very vulnerable or they have family members who are very vulnerable or they're in a caring job where they have to be very careful. And so we will be continuing our live stream. But if you can come, even if it's inconvenient and it's really annoying that you have to wear a mask and there are restrictions on us that you might not even agree with, but we have to obey the government. Please come because we're in a race. It's a team race and races involve inconveniences and restrictions. But we need to turn up as a team and help each other on in the race. Well, we've thought there about the race. Now let's think about how to run the race. And we are told in Hebrews 12, three things to do to run the race. Let's go through three things to do to run the race. And the first is strip off, strip off. Now, think about if you've watched the Olympics before the race, the athlete may have a a tracksuit on. But he or she doesn't keep it on for the race. No, the athlete strips off the tracksuit and strips down to a, a, a very skinny pair of shorts and vest or some sort of indecent, ultra tight lycra thing. But they strip off as far as they can so they're not hindered at all. 2000 years ago, when Hebrews was written in the ancient Greek Olympics, they stripped off even further. Off came the cloak that might entangle them and trip them up. Off came any clothes that might weigh you down or rub against you. Off came everything. And they ran stark naked, nothing on. And that's the picture in verse one. Verse one. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. Do you get the picture of throwing off any any clothes? Or also it could refer to excess weight on your tummy that you train that off. Throw off anything that might hinder, anything that might tangle you up and trip you over. And here we find there are there are sins that may entangle, but there are also things that are not sins that may hinder you in the race. Is there a TV program you are hooked on? And it takes up loads of time. And then you say, oh, I haven't got time to read the Bible and pray. Are you hooked on your phone? I've got my phone here so I can see the rest of you on Zoom. But you're hooked on your phone and you don't get a time of calm and and focus meditation on God's word because you're always looking at your phone, checking your phone, interrupted by your phone. 
Do you have ambitions in work, in sport, in school, in business, for popularity, that they dominate and they will get you swerving away from running the direction Jesus sets? Because if the two clash, well, those ambitions are more important. Do you have things that are not sins, but they are hindering you and you need to throw them off? Vaughan Roberts is is the rector, that's an Anglican term for a pastor, of a big uh, studenty church in Oxford. And he said he's known many Christian students. Well, they appeared to be Christians. They appeared to be really keen, actually, when they were students. And then later in life, they've drifted away or decidedly turned away. And he said in almost every case, there's been one of two causes. It's either been their career has just so overwhelmed them and taken them up or they've started going out with or got married to an unbeliever. He said he's known loads of cases of that. It's nearly always been one of those two causes. Or to give an illustration of this sort of thing, do you know who Katerina Johnson Thompson is? That's a great name, isn't it? Katerina Johnson Thompson. She's a heptathlete, British heptathlete. She's very good at it. Oh, by the way, heptathlon is seven track and, and field events. And she won the 2019 World Championships, got the gold medal. She's very good at it. Now, can she do that and eat whatever she wants? Can she be a gold medalist at the heptathlon and go to whatever party she wants? Can she be that good and skip training if it clashes with something she wants? No, she can't. She, she, all her life is going to be very focused and quite self-denying. And following Jesus is more serious business than getting a world championship gold medal. Following Jesus is not something you can have as a little interest on the side, while the main thing about your life is something else. Everything else about your life has to come into line with following Jesus. Let's get back to verse one. Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. The picture here is an athlete and he's still got his cloak on. He hasn't thrown it off. And there it is swirling around his legs and it entangles his legs. And so easily it will trip him up. And sin does that. Is there any sin? And you're thinking, oh, it's only a little one. It won't matter. Is there any sin in your thinking, come on, Christians make a fuss about it, but it's nothing compared with what most people are doing. Is there any sin in your excusing? It's just a weakness I have. We're all forgiven sinners, aren't we? Sins entangle. All sins entangle. Throw them off. I, I want to point out a particular, a specific example of this here, and it's really parents here I'm speaking to. Parents, are you vigilant for your children in this area? Especially uh, you know, when they've had that time off school, there's been a lot of screen time, hasn't there? Do you know what they're watching? Do you know what they're listening to? Do you, if they're into pop music or, or watching videos on YouTube, do you know what they're listening to and watching? Do you know how much that they have instant access to is poison? It really is poison. Do you know what's out there? 
Oh, you might say, they only watch mainstream stuff. We've got the filters on. They only watch the stuff that that the filters allow through. It's all mainstream stuff. Do you know what mainstream is? Just this last week or two, Joe Biden in America, presidential candidate, has commended Cardi B as a good role model. Do you know who Cardi B is? Well, don't find out. She sings utter pornographic filth. That is mainstream. Recommended by a presidential candidate. It will entangle their minds and their hearts. It will make foul language and sexual debauchery just normal to them. It will get into their minds in such a way it's almost impossible to get out. Do you know what they're listening to and watching? Are you being vigilant for them? That's just one specific example of there are things that will entangle and hinder us. They've got to be thrown off. You cannot run this race without throwing off the things that entangle and hinder. Here's the second thing you've got to do. Can you see it there? We move into verse two. We've got to look ahead. Look ahead. Children, what happens if you run in a race and you look into the side? What happens worse if you're running a race and you're looking over your shoulder? Well, you might trip over. You're certainly going to be slowed down. You might veer off the track and get disqualified like Steve Ovett in that picture. You need to be focused and look ahead. And and that's true literally with your eyes, but it's also true with an athlete's mind. The athlete needs to think about the prize and think about the aim. Aiming for a gold medal or a bronze medal? Aiming for a personal best or a world record? And the athlete must be convinced that aim is worth the effort. That aim is worth the self-denial. In this case, it's look ahead to the one who has finished the race. Look ahead to the goal of the race, which is being with him. Verse two. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus. That's how we look ahead. We fix our eyes on Jesus. We think about him. We focus on him. And here we're given three reasons why it's going to help us to fix our eyes on Jesus. I'm going to give you three reasons why it will help. First, to reassure you. To reassure you. Verse two, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. It's a bit of a difficult phrase, this one. The phrase isn't directly about Jesus giving us faith and perfecting our faith. The phrase means Jesus is the champion at having faith. Jesus is the one who first showed complete faith. Jesus is the one who had perfect faith right through to the end. Although he was God who made all things, he became a man who fully trusted his father all the way through to the end. That's what it means. He's the author and the perfecter of. It's actually literally the faith, the faith. But he wasn't just doing it as an isolated individual. He wasn't just doing it for himself. If it was just for himself, he might as well have stayed in heaven. No, he was doing it for us. He did it so that all who are in him could have faith. He did it so he had the right to sit at God's right hand and give the Holy Spirit who works faith in us and sustains faith in us. So fixing your eyes on Jesus reassures you. Oh, look, there's Jesus. I think about Jesus. He's the champion of the faith. He's gone ahead of me 
And so by his spirit, he'll work in me all that is needed to keep me running. He'll supply me with all that is needed to keep running. Fixing your eyes on Jesus reassures you. It's also to put backbone in you. In other words, I mean to strengthen you, to stiffen your resolve. What did Jesus being the champion of faith involve? It tells us. It tells us in verse two. Right there in the middle, do you see it? It involved enduring the cross. Now, self-sacrifice can sound so romantic, but it involved enduring. Every day, Jesus had to get up and resolve that he's going to travel that one day closer to Jerusalem. Each day he had to resolve, I'm going to go there to that cross. I'm going to keep going. And each day involved, verse 3, enduring such opposition from sinful men. They twisted his words. They muttered about him in their groups. They looked down on him and picked him apart, trying to find fault. Do you identify with any of that? And he endured it. He never said, I've had enough. I'm packing it in. Instead, he went to the shame of the cross. And he didn't answer back as people threw in his face. He said he was the son of God. Well, if he is, surely God will come and rescue him. He allowed himself to look a failure. Fixing your eyes on Jesus reminds you the race might be like that for you. The race can be very tough. People at work may twist your words. People at school might mutter about you behind your back in their groups. Even people in your families might try to pick you apart and find fault. Faith means whatever happens, whatever of that happens, don't veer off following Jesus. Fix your eyes on Jesus. It's to reassure you. It's to give you backbone. And it's also to encourage you. And here to me is massive encouragement. Why did Jesus endure the cross? Why did he endure the cross? Can you see the answer in verse two? Who for the joy set before him endured the cross? For the joy set before him. Why does a runner endure the marathon? Oh, because he or she thinks the prize will be worth it. The sense of achievement will be worth it. The fulfillment will be worth it. Jesus thought enduring the cross would be worth it because of the joy ahead for him. What was that joy? What was the joy ahead for Jesus that made the cross worth it? The joy of saving his people. The joy of rescuing them from their sins. The joy of having them reconciled with God. The joy of having them belong to him and be with him forever. Jesus didn't just go to the cross with the hope, well, this will do someone somewhere good. No, Jesus went to the cross for his people, people he knew. People he loved, people he wanted to belong to him, people he wanted to be with him. To Jesus, having you with him was joy ahead that made the cross worthwhile. Now, we run the race knowing this. I'm running to the one who loves me that much. Isn't that encouragement to keep going? 
We must throw off. We must look ahead. But there's something else we must do if we're going to run the race. It's fairly obvious, but we could easily miss it out. Imagine an athlete is stripped down to his running kit and he keeps his eyes on the finish line and he focuses his mind and he's all tensed up and bang goes the starting pistol and he doesn't move. Oh, I'm waiting to feel moved. No, just run. I'm waiting for it to come naturally. No, it won't come naturally. Just run. Ah, it shouldn't involve effort. That's making Christianity legalistic and burdensome. Well, stop making fancy excuses and just run. I'm making a simple point, very simple point. Verse one says, let us run with perseverance. We've got to strip off. We've got to look ahead. But we've also got to put in the effort. The Christian life does involve effort. Some people get this wrong because we know it's not in our strength. We know we do it relying on Jesus. But don't turn that into no effort. Oh, no. The Holy Spirit has chosen to give us running a race as the picture of the Christian life. And if you ever ran cross country races at school, you know that requires effort. So strip off, look ahead and run. As I said earlier, the Tour de France has started yesterday. It's due to finish in three weeks time. In three weeks time, many will have against their name the letters DNF. Do you know what that means? Or can you guess what that means? There will be a lot of cyclists in three weeks time with DNF against their name. Did not finish. A lot of them don't get through to the end of the race. Did not finish. The Hebrews this letter was first written to were in danger of having did not finish against their name. Hebrews 12 is not written so you could just know the Bible a bit better. Hebrews 12 is not written so a sermon could be preached and we could feel like church has happened this morning. Hebrews 12 was written so you do not have DNF did not finish against your name. You will have it against your name unless you do Hebrews 12. Don't just listen to the sermon. Don't just know Hebrews 12. You will have did not finish against your name unless you do Hebrews 12. But do Hebrews 12 and one day you will be able to say, like the Apostle Paul did when he was about to die, he said this, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me. And not only to me, but also to all who've longed for his appearing.